Grace be unto you, and peace from God our Father, and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let us hear the word of God. As we find it written in the book of Hebrews, reading there in the 12th chapter, beginning at the 18th verse. For ye are not come unto the mount that might be touched, and that burned with fire, nor unto blackness, and darkness, and tempest, and the sound of a trumpet and the voice of words, which voice they that heard entreated that the word should not be spoken to them any more. For they could not endure that which was commanded. And if so much as a beast touched the mountain, it shall be stoned or thrust through with a dart. And so terrible was the sight that Moses said, I exceedingly fear and quake. But ye are come unto Mount Zion, and unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaketh better things than that of evil." Now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Good morning, dear friends in Christ Jesus. You may say, well, it isn't a very good morning this morning, rainy and rather dark and gloomy, but I'm thankful that you found your way to church, and I hope that all of us are grateful for this hour when we can worship our God. Today, as you know, is the 16th Sunday after Trinity. We are rapidly coming to the time at the end of another church year. This text that I read is from the New Testament book of Hebrews. Here the author is writing to the Christians of the first century. This was the reason for his writing. There were a number of Christians in the first century Christian church who were thinking seriously about turning away from Jesus as their Savior and becoming their own Savior. They were toying with this idea of what good is it to have Jesus as our Savior. They were saying to themselves, is he so necessary? Is it so vital? Is it so important? Is it a great must that we must have Jesus as our Savior what about this Jesus? Isn't it just as well that we would become our own Savior? Can't we save ourselves just as well without Jesus as with him? Why do we need him? And so they were feeling that Jesus was sort of an excess baggage. He was sort of an extra load that you didn't need. They could save themselves without having Jesus. They were ready to turn away from him. They were going to turn to themselves and to say, I'm going to be my own savior, and I can do that just as well. I can save myself just as well as having this Jesus as my savior. And so we find the writer to the book of Hebrews saying to them, But ye are come, he says to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, he said, listen, Christians, don't you know that you have come to know Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, as your Savior? And so he says to them, hold on to Jesus as your Savior. 
Get a death grip on him. Don't ever let him go. Get a stranglehold on him. Don't ever feel that he is superfluous. Don't ever feel that he is just simply a fifth wheel. Don't ever feel that he is just a surplus commodity that you don't need. He says, hold on to him. Never let Jesus as Savior go. Never turn away from him. You have come to know him. Never turn to yourselves as your own Savior. Sounds rather modern, doesn't it? And from the word of God, he speaks to you and me as Christians of the 20th century. This whole Jesus business that you hear about every Sunday, we may say to ourselves, why can't I be a Christian and be saved even though I do not have Jesus as Savior and as my Lord? Why can't I be my own Savior? After all, he is a surplus commodity. I don't think that he is so necessary. I don't think that he is so vital that he is an absolute must in my life. I'm going to be my own Savior. And we may say, besides, I'd rather do it myself. And the writer of Hebrews says to you and me, the Christians of the 20th century, he says, hold on for dear life to Jesus as your Savior. Never consider him an excess commodity. Never consider him a fifth wheel. Never turn away from him as Savior to turn to yourself. And we may say, why not? Why not? We say, a lot of people say, well, I'm a Christian. No, I don't embrace Jesus as my Savior. But after all, I know that I'm going to be saved. I have every assurance that I'm going to be saved. I know that I will. But I don't embrace him as my Savior. I'm going to save myself. I'd rather do it myself. And I think that I can save myself apart from him and that I don't need him. And the writer of the Hebrews, he says to you and me, if we're trying with this idea, never let him go as your Lord and Savior. Never let him slip through your fingers. Hold on to him for dear life because he would assure you and me that he is the absolute must, that you and I must have Jesus as our Savior. And all because if we turn away from him and we turn to ourselves, then this means just one thing. It means the eternal separation of you and me from our God. It means separated forever from the mercy and the love of God. You may say to me this morning, I'll wait a minute, preacher. You mean to say that I can't be a Christian without having Jesus as my Savior? You mean to say that if I decide to turn away from him and make myself my Savior, that this means that I'm going to spend an eternity separated from God? That's what I mean. That's it exactly. So you do understand me. You may say, I don't think Christ is that important. I don't think that Jesus as Savior is that absolute must, that he is so essential, that he is so necessary. But the writer of Hebrews says, hold on for dear life. Never let him go. This Jesus as Savior, never consider him superfluous. Hold on to him and never turn away. Why? Because if we realize that he is an all-important one, then we must realize that to turn away from him, it can only mean eternal death. Why? Because in the first place, let's know this, that when we turn away, when we make a switch, and we switch from Jesus as Savior to ourselves, and we make ourselves our Savior, that that means this, that we're turning away from somebody who is holy, we're turning away from somebody who atoned for our guilt and punishment, and we're turning to ourselves who are anything but holy. 
and we haven't atoned for our guilt and our punishment one bit. What kind of a savior do you think that you are, or may I think that I am? Rather strange when he was writing to some of the Christians of the first century, they thought they would make a pretty good savior. And he says they wanted to go back to Mount Sinai. They wanted to go back to the old covenant that God made with Moses at Mount Sinai. They rather loved it. In other words, they said, we're going to be our own savior. We'd rather do it ourselves. Uh, We're going to keep the Ten Commandments. We're going to obey the laws that God gave us. They're so wonderful. And they were thrilled and said, if we become our own Savior, we're going to do what God asks us to do, and then God's going to give us eternal life because we have kept his laws that God gave at Mount Sinai. And then the author writes and he tells him, have you remembered what happened at Mount Sinai? He says, you've come away from Mount Sinai when God spoke to Moses and the children of Israel. He said, remember that mountain? That again, the earth quaked and there was again a cloud and there was darkness and there was thunder and there was lightning. And you remember that when God spoke, the people stood there and they just shook all over in fear. You remember that even Moses said that he was filled with fear and dread when God spoke. You remember what happened at Sinai when God gave the law? When God spoke from the mountain, says, I am the Lord thy God, thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Thou shalt honor thy father and thy mother. Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house. Thou shalt not covet the neighbor's wife, nor his manservant, nor his maidservant, nor his cattle, nor anything that is thy neighbor's. Said, you remember what God said, I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God. I will not have you disobey me. He says, I am so jealous that I will visit the iniquity, the guilt of your great-grandfather and your grandfather and your father on you if you persist in being disobedient to me. Do you forget it? You and I may say, what kind of a savior will I make for myself when I decide that I'm going to turn away from Christ as my Savior and I'm going to be my own Savior and I'm going to obey the Ten Commandments. You know that God, when he gave the Ten Commandments, he didn't expect you and me to say, how nice, isn't that wonderful? When God gave the Ten Commandments at Mount Sinai, Moses shivered in the people and when it was over, they said, oh God, never talk to us again like that. We're scared to death. They all thought they were going to die. What God gave the Ten Commandments for, if you're riding down a highway and the state highway patrols behind you and suddenly the light is on and he says, move over to the side, buddy. You say, oh, thank goodness, isn't that wonderful? Then you and I come with a sense of guilt, don't we? What kind of a Savior will you and I make? We'll make a lousy Savior because we come into this world as a sinner and you and I can't keep those Ten Commandments. You and I can't obey God as God wants it. And we stand with our own guilt and our own punishment. And then we would say this Jesus business that you hear about in church on Sunday. Who wants to hear that you've got to have him as Savior? I'm going to be my own Savior. I'd rather do it myself. But oh God, you and I make a lousy Savior. How can we atone for the guilt and our punishment of having broken his law? When God says, I'm a jealous God, I demand perfection. The soul of the sinner that shall die. What can you and I do to make up to God to exclude us from hell and damnation? I'd like to see something in your life and mine that you and I would ever do. In trying to obey his law that God would say you've earned an exclusion from hell and eternal damnation. And so the writer says, 
You mean to say you're going to turn away from Jesus as Lord and Savior? Why, you have come to know him at Mount Zion, at Calvary. He is the mediator. He is the one that instituted a new covenant. And oh, look at him. He was holy. He was without sin. Yes, he was God the Son who came into the world without sin because he was born of the Virgin Mary. Took unto himself a human body and a human soul. And again, on Mount Zion at Calvary, he went to the cross. And because he was God and man without sin, he was the one that took our guilt and our punishment on us. When Mount Sinai condemned us, he said, God, let me bear hell and damnation for the world. Is he a necessity to turn away from a Christ who was holy and a Christ who has made up to God for all of your guilt and mine and all of our punishment to turn away from him and to become our own savior? It's ridiculous, isn't it? I'd rather do it myself. This Jesus business, people say, we want to become our own savior. What horrible saviors we are. No wonder then the writer would assure you and me, Jesus is an absolute must to savior because when we make a switch and we say, I'm coming away from him, I'm going to be my own savior, it means that we're turning away from him who alone has deliverance from eternal death and hell to give you and me. You and I can never as a savior give that blessing to ourselves because we don't have it to give. To turn away from him means that I say to him, I don't want to be excluded from hell. I don't want you to tell me that because I have put my trust in you as Savior, that now you have saved me from an eternity of darkness and hell. It's to say, I'm going to do it my way. I'd rather be my own Savior. But you and I are lousy saviors to the point that not one of us could ever say to ourselves, because we are our own Savior, here you are exempt from hell and eternal damnation. And that's why today when we look at the church in the 20th century, we ought to say to ourselves, since again the writer of Hebrews calls to you and me about this Jesus business, and we're hearing so much again, to turn away from you. You don't need him as the Savior. He is not an absolute must. He isn't essential. He's just a fifth wheel. You just, oh, you don't need him. He's just surplus baggage. That's all. What you need is make yourself your own Savior. We ought to determine then that when within the church and without the church there is such criticism that is heaped against the church and its message, we ought not to be too disturbed about it. Oh, we're hearing that everything's wrong with the church, isn't that right? One of the big things we're hearing about the church is because the church hasn't changed its tune. That is, some of them haven't, that they're still preaching about Jesus as Savior. There are individuals who say, come on out of the early centuries. You're in the 20th century. What do you mean getting up there and talking about Jesus as Savior? We'll be our own Savior. He isn't that important. He isn't that necessary. Come on away from him. Be your own Savior. And there are those that are saying, that message is stopped. You don't need to bring it to foreign lands anymore. There are those that are saying, this is what the church ought to be in the 20th century. It ought to be another welfare agency. Lord God, we've got enough of them, haven't we? I don't know of any greater welfare agency than my own country that I love. And even when some of our leaders get up and say, even there it has failed, I wonder what the church could do as a welfare agency for getting the message of Jesus as Savior. Do you realize that even if we could, as a church, in a welfare agency, if we could eliminate every bit of poverty in the world, if we could get every human being a home of his own, if we could give him all the food and clothing that he needs, if we could eliminate disease, if we could give him a veritable heaven on earth for a short time, 
how we would fail when individuals would stand and meet their God on the day of their death. And we would say, you're going to hell because we have failed to preach that which is essential. And that is the Jesus. He is the Savior. He's got to be. No man can save himself. Let men criticize. We don't like changes in the church. Some changes come. But believe you and me, when the church ceases to say, this is the sum total of its message. It is Jesus the Savior. This is an absolute must. When we forget that, then again, we have robbed individuals of eternal life. Let's, let's let the criticism come, but let's therefore know that we shall escape that loss which has no compensation. To be lost, to turn away from Christ who is the Savior, to turn to ourselves and to be lost. Let's remember what Jesus said about Judas. He said it were better for that man that he had never been born. If you and I had the world, it would never compensate for the fact of being lost. It is hell to be lost. Yes, already in the first century, there were those who called themselves Christians who were saying, uh, Christ the Savior isn't too important. He isn't too necessary. We're going to make a switch. We're going to really turn now, and we're going to turn from him, and we're going to make ourselves our own Savior. We're going to save ourselves. Uh, we'd rather do it ourselves. He isn't important. He isn't an absolute must. And the writer of Hebrews writes to them and says, Oh, listen, Christians, you have come to know Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant. You mean you're going to turn your back on him? You mean you're going to turn away from him? And he, in other words, says, Hold on for him, with him for dear life. Again, get a stranglehold on him and never let him go. Never feel that he's just excess baggage that you don't need him. Never turn to yourselves because he would remind us Christ is absolutely important as Savior, and to turn from him to ourselves as Savior simply means one thing. It means the eternal separation of your soul and mine from God, because in the second place, let's know this, that whenever I turn and I make a switch and I turn from him and I turn to myself as a Savior, that means that I'm turning away from him who has merited all the righteousness that I need for eternal life, and I'm turning to myself and I have in one iota of righteousness in order to enter heaven. What kind of a savior do you and I really make? How many of us as Christians of the 20th century are saying, I'm my own savior. I'd rather do it myself. I don't need Christ. I don't need him as savior in my life. I, I would be my own savior. And when the writer of Hebrews was writing to those Christians of the first century, and oh, they just loved Mount Sinai. Here Moses was scared to death and the people and they thought any moment they were going to die. And he reminds them how much righteousness did Moses and the people of Israel out there in the desert when God spoke. How much did they think they had? God had said, you come to the mountain on the third day. And he told the children of Israel, if you as much as touch that holy mountain, you're going to die. And if any wild animal comes up and touches the mountain, you're to stone him. Here was death. Well, if there was any righteousness, if there was any goodness in the children of Israel, Moses, they wouldn't have died just to touch the mountain. But God says, ah, the minute you touch that mountain, you die. And yet again, here were some Christians of the first century wanting to go back. And they were going to go back to say, oh, Sinai was so lovely. Oh, here is God's law. And again, we are going to buy our life, buy our goodness by treating our neighbor right. We are going to merit all the righteousness we need for eternal life. What lousy saviors you and I can be. Who can bring a clean thing out of an unclean, not one, says the word of God. 
All of our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. We make lousy saviors to feel that you buy your life and I buy mine. If we could ever merit enough righteousness that God would say, you bought heaven, you deserve it. I'm going to give it to you because you have bought and paid for it in your life. And to turn away from him, the eternal son of God who on the cross cried out, it is finished, and who died and thus in that perfect sufferings and death for you and me, he merited that perfect righteousness that we need for eternal life. To turn away from him as Savior when he's the only one that has this righteousness that you and I need so that at death we can enter heaven and to turn to ourselves when you and I don't have one iota of righteousness. Rather ridiculous, isn't it? Rather ridiculous. And yet again, we are being told in this 20th century that to be a Christian, you don't need Christ as Savior. No, be your own Savior. I'd rather do it myself. Let that be the idea. To turn away from him... To miss this joy that when we have put our trust in him and we say, you are my Savior, I put my hope of salvation in you, to know then that having Christ and that perfect righteousness, that when death comes that we shall enter into the joy of our Lord and that we shall be at an end with sorrow and sickness and death and suffering. That's what it means to have him. But to turn to ourselves as our own Savior, what does it mean? It means again to have him look at us and to say to us, I, I don't know you. We ought to, as we begin to evaluate the church today in the 20th century, we ought to say to ourselves as we heed the call of the writer of Hebrews, you get a death grip on Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You get a strangle hold on him and don't ever consider him excess commodity. Don't you ever consider him excess baggage, a fifth wheel that you don't need. He's all right, but you don't have to have him. Don't ever turn away from him and become your own Savior. Then we ought to say this, I'm going to determine in my Christian life, I don't care what others are going to do, but I'm going to do this. I'm never going to make myself my own Savior. Well, it's rather attractive, isn't it? It appeals to our ego, doesn't it? To say, I'm going to be my own, any saving to be done, I'm going to go to heaven, but I'm going to do it my way. I don't need him. I don't need him at all. And that's easy, isn't it? And it appeals to our pride and it appeals to our ego. And we say, any saving's going to be done, I will do it, and I can do everything that is necessary. And I have this assurance that I will stand before God on the day of my death, and that he will give me eternal life because he looks at me and at my life. Go back to Mount Sinai. They stood there, and again, if they had touched the mountain, they would have died. If you and I can be our own Savior, if you and I can save ourselves by our life and by our deeds, then we've got to say to Christ, Christ, the greatest and the most ridiculous thing that has ever happened in this world is you as the Son of God coming out of heaven, coming down to this world, and going to the cross and suffering and dying. The most ridiculous thing that ever happened. Why in the world didn't you stay home? We didn't need you. Excess commodity, excess baggage. Rather, rather strange when you turn to the Word of God and you go back to the book of Genesis when God promised the Savior 4,000 years before he came. When God fashioned history throughout the Old Testament, established a nation under Abraham, and this nation grew, and God kept this nation going, and God kept these people alive, so that when the fullness of time was come, God sent his Son. Whenever I become my own Savior, I look at Jesus, and I laugh at him, and I say, why didn't you stay home where you belong? You didn't have to come into this world to save me. I'd rather do it myself. When you and I slap Jesus Christ in the face 
Well, then you and I may know this. When we stand before him on the day of our death, he will spew us out of his mouth. He will say to me, I've never known you. Whenever the church of Jesus Christ slaps him in the face and forgets, this is the message, this is the essence, this is the heart and soul of it all. Jesus the Savior, it ceases to be the church. Today, this is 20th century. Everything is being evaluated. Everything is being cut down to size. People are looking at the church. People are dropping away from the church. People are ceasing to support it. And we say, what's wrong? Is it because the church is forgetting to say, don't ever turn away from Jesus as Lord and Savior? Don't ever consider him excess commodity and excess baggage. Don't ever consider him a fifth wheel. A church, again, must say, for God's sakes, don't ever let him go. Don't ever let him get away from you. Don't ever turn to yourself. He is an absolute necessity. Because when we turn away from him, it means the eternal darkness of your soul and mind separated from the love of God forever. We may say, is he really now preacher that important? Well, the writer of Hebrews also reminds us that this Jesus, when we turn away from him and turn to ourselves as our Savior, we're turning away from him and he calls him the firstborn. He is the firstborn of creation. He is the one that is going to come again and he is the one that is going to give glorified bodies to those who have put their faith and trust in him. It means to turn away from that kind of a Savior and turn to ourselves as Savior. And you and I can promise ourselves nothing. What kind of a Savior do you make or what kind of a Savior do I make? When you go back to Mount Sinai, what happened? Oh, again, there were Christians of the first century. They, they thought this was just ducky. This was just lovely to go over to Mount Sinai. It was just the love of their life. But again, you notice that at Mount Sinai, anybody that touched that mountain died. There was no resurrection at Mount Sinai. It was death all over the place. And they stood there and they shook and they trembled. And they couldn't wait till the scene was over. It was a horrible experience. Even Moses was appalled by it. He thanked God when it was over. Scared them to death. You and I are going to be our own savior. We're going to say to ourselves, I'm going to do it myself. I'm going to stand before God on the last day and I'm going to tell him, I've done it myself. I didn't need his son. I didn't need him as Lord and Savior. And yet again, the writer of Hebrews says he is the, he is the firstborn of creation. You may say, what does that mean, the firstborn? Let's put it this way. As the firstborn, he is the cause of every resurrection from the dead. I know in the Old Testament, Elijah and Elisha raised boys from the dead but they did it in the light of Calvary and the resurrection of the firstborn, who was Jesus Christ. Christ raised the young man at Nain, as you heard in the gospel lesson this morning. Why? Because he was the firstborn of creation. He was life itself. And in the light of Calvary and in the light of his resurrection, resurrections took place. And this is the Savior then, who is coming again, the firstborn, who is coming to give to those who have put their faith and trust in him, to give unto them a glorified body, to raise our bodies in glory. 
to turn away from a Savior who says, your body, when I raise it at the last day, it shall be like my body in glory and in magnificence and in holiness. And you and I would have to say, more than that I could never wish for. And then to turn to ourselves and to say, I'd rather do it myself. I don't think that he's important. I don't think that he's necessary. I think he's a fifth wheel. I think that he's just simply a surplus commodity that I can do very well without. You and I make lousy savers. Oh, we may promise ourselves a lot. We may say, oh, I know that at the last day, because, again, I'm my own savior, and I've lived the best life that I know how, and I, again, I've treated my neighbor right, then I'm going to be raised with a resurrected body, but we can lie to ourselves. Don't forget, that would be a lie, because only in him will you and I have a resurrected body. It means to turn away from him who at the last day will create new heavens and a new earth. And the writer of Hebrews gives us a picture and he says, you've come to Zion. You've come to Zion, the city of the living God. You've come to, again, the heavenly Jerusalem when Christ, who is the Savior, shall come again and the present heavens and earth will be destroyed and there will be new heavens and a new earth. And then again, there will be this new, the heavenly Jerusalem as John saw it, you know, on Patmos. And he said, and I, John, saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And he gives the picture again in this new heaven and this new earth that Christ the Savior will give. He said, there you will see the angelic host, thousands, ten thousands, times ten thousand. Imagine what it will be like, ten thousand times ten thousand angels, one hundred million angels. And God will be there. And those who have known Christ, whose names have been written in heaven, will be there. And Jesus will be there. To turn away from him with the last day is going to bring that. And to turn to ourselves, it's unthinkable, isn't it? It's unthinkable. And yet how the thought strikes us, that we think we can be a Christian and not have Jesus as our personal Savior. To be our own Savior, I'd rather do it myself. We ought to say to ourselves this morning, if we have made the switch, if you and I have said, I've long ago done away with Jesus as my Savior, and I expect to be saved, I've made myself my own Savior, I'd rather do it myself, and I think everything is fine. And we realize that he is the essential one, that to turn away from him, that is fatal. It means if you and I this morning do not have him as Christ and as Savior, it means we're lost. Don't take my word for it. Take the word of the word of God. Then we may say to ourselves, well, I've wandered away from I've made the big switch. I've been going through life. I'm going to save myself. I've been, well, I've been spiritually intoxicated with my own self-righteousness, how, how good I am. I don't need him. Then we may say, but if I come back, what kind of a reception do I get? Rather strange when we wander away from him, what picture we build of him as Savior, isn't that so? We may say, well, his, he's bound to be reluctant to have me come back. He's bound to give me the cold shoulder. Well, how about it? If you and I go back to him and say, I, I'm sick and tired of being my own Savior, I'm a lousy Savior, and I want you, and I'm coming back and repenting, and I'm coming back and I'm going to put my whole faith and my trust and my confidence in you as my Lord, and I'm going to put my hope of eternal life in you, is he going to say, now get away from me, Buster? 
Uh, you've, you've lived all these years without me and you've wandered away. I'm just not too anxious for you to come back. You know, I wonder if we even understand what we mean by grace. We talk about the love of God and we use the word grace and you hear it so often that it loses its meaning. Let's go to the cross, this malefactor on the right. Yes, Dismas. He had, here was the 11th hour of life. He had gone out and he had wasted the whole business. I wonder if his own mind, when he looked at Jesus, he didn't say, well, he doesn't want me. He's going to give me the cold shoulder. After all, I've wasted my life. And maybe Jesus would say, I'm going to let that guy sweat. I'm not going to let him turn back to me. And yes, he can go out and think he can live to the world. Now he's coming back. I'm going to give him the cold shoulder. But when that malefactor said, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom, Jesus looked at him and said, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. Can I give you a new definition of grace? When you and I come back to Jesus, grace is undeserved love. And therefore, grace means this. Christ doesn't have a cold shoulder. He just doesn't have it. This shoulder of his, you know, became warm at Calvary. I don't care who you are or who I am. We may have turned away from him to become our own Savior. We may have said, I don't need Jesus Christ the Savior. I can live very well without him. Then we go back and we may be reluctant. But what is grace? Undeserved love me. He doesn't have a cold shoulder. Did the father have a cold shoulder when the prodigal son was coming back? When the son was coming back, did the father say, I'm going to show that boy something. I'm going to give him the cold shoulder. If he thinks he's going to come back and have me forgive him, he's mighty mistaken. I'm going to just simply give him the, I'm going to give him the silent treatment. I'm going to give him that cold treatment. God, who is gracious, when the father saw him, it was just a speck down in the desert, and he saw a speck. He kept on going. It looks like my boy. Did he say, I don't want to see him. I'm going to give him the cold shoulder. He's not coming back to me with what he's done. But the father goes, you see, this is grace. Grace means God doesn't have a cold shoulder. And God, he found him. When he saw who it was, he ran into his arms around him. My son, who was dead is alive. My son, who was lost, was found. If you think you can't go back, May I assure you this morning, Christ doesn't have a cold shoulder. That's grace. You see, it's all undeserved. He doesn't have a cold shoulder. It became warm at Calvary. Never cooled off. Oh, it is no secret what God can do, what he's done for others. He'll do for you. With arms wide open, he'll pardon you. It is no secret what God can do. You see, he doesn't have a cold shoulder. The author of Hebrews says to you and me of the 20th century, for God's sakes, hold on to Jesus as Savior. Don't ever let him go. Amen. The peace of God which passeth all human understanding, keeping unite your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus unto life everlasting. Mm -hmm.